morning. Happy Palm Sunday to all of you here, all of you joining us online. Happy Palm Sunday to you also. I'm going to back us up to 2018 for a moment. In 2018, we did a series entitled From Here to There, and we talked a lot about how oftentimes in our life, God will make us discontent with the here. There'll be a disruption. There'll be some kind of a maybe event that will cause us to say, I need to move to a new place in my life. And we move to the there. And we're going to look at one specific message this morning. We're going to revisit it today because I think it's so uh, applicable. And the message was entitled, What Do You Do When Your World Turns Upside Down? And so we're going to talk for a few moments this Palm Sunday on how to address that question. What do we do when our world turns upside down, where God wants to take us for what we know, the here, to a new place there and experience him in a deeper, uh, uh, more significant way? Um, Think about what we're celebrating today. We're celebrating what? Palm Sunday, right? The triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. The world, friends, was never going to be the same. Once Christ was incarnate, born of the Virgin Mary, the world would never be the same, amen? And the triumphal entry just kind of really emphasized that Jesus was changing everything. But most people of his day failed to recognize what was afoot. They failed to recognize the movement of God that was at hand and that God was literally with them in person, amen? Ushering in a new era called the church, the era between his first appearing and his second appearing, the era of grace, the era of the church. What do you do when your world turns upside down? That's the question we're going to look at. We don't want to miss it. A lot of people miss it. What do you do when a pandemic changes life as we know it? We're on the downside of this thing, I hope. But uh, recently I was reading here a little article from Wellmark. That's our health insurance agency. Uh, I think Vicki laid it out for me. Uh, when you're old and like me, you read health insurance stuff, you know. Anyway, I, I found some of these statistics interesting that, that this was sharing. It, it says this, 63% of young adults are suffering significant symptoms of anxiety or depression during the pandemic, more than any other group. Now, partly because they're young. And they haven't gone through that much in life yet. And so this thing has just really been disruptive in their lives. Uh, 61% of young adults, 18 to 25, and 51% of mothers with young children are saying they really suffer right now from loneliness. They feel frequently that they're mostly alone or all alone, and they never have what they would call significant conversations with other people. This is what the pandemic has done to us. It's kind of brought this kind of issue to the forefront. What do you do when your world turns upside down? What do you do when there's so much unrest and anger? There's a lot of anger out there right now. I've run into places where I wouldn't expect people to be so angry, but they're just really angry. What do you do when the economic outlook begins to darken? Amen? When inflation is going up and retirement's going down. Anybody experiencing that? If you're not, let me know the secret. Amen? I want to know the secret. What do you do when racial issues just never seem to go away? They never seem to get resolved. It's just sad, isn't it? It's just sad. What do you do when Christianity is being pushed to the margins, which it is right now? Like exponentially being pushed to the margins. It's being considered irrelevant by most people. These are the questions we're going to address to some degree today in this message. Ancient Israel faced a what do you do when your world turns upside down kind of event? It's found in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. And these verses simply begin with this phrase. In the year that King Uzziah died. And you've got to understand what that meant. 
that phrase, what that, that implied to the ancient Israelites. It's just pregnant with his implications. Uzziah was, first of all, quite the leader. Uh, he had longevity. He led Israel for 50 years. That's like 10 presidential terms, depending on if they go two terms or one term. Most of them go one term, okay? That's a long time to have stable leadership, especially in that uh, era. So he was a long-term stabilizer uh, for Israel. Secondly, he was just a remarkable kind of military dude. He formed an army of more than 300,000. The Bible says that skillful men among them designed you know, machines to shoot arrows and, and large boulders at their enemy. And under him, their arch enemy, the Philistines, were finally defeated. So he was a, a military uh, a, a genius. Um, he was also, thirdly, he was a builder. You know, if you're going to have a good leader, they're going to be a builder. And, and, and Uzziah was able to build cisterns and water. And we're told that under Uzziah, that economy of Israel flourished. And lastly, he was an exceptional spiritual leader. The Bible says that he followed in the footsteps of his father David. Besides David and Solomon, there was one other really, really, really good leader in Israel, and that was Uzziah, and he's dead. What do you do when your world turns upside down? Most of the people of that day could only remember life under, under the U, U, Uzziah helm. He was an anchor. He was a stabilizer. He was the confidence of the nation. He is now dead. And there's an emerging power, Assyria, coming on the scene, gobbling up little nations. What do you do when your world turns upside down? Let's personalize this. I want you to think about this for a moment personally. I want you to put that question to your own heart today. What do you do when your world turns upside down? What's your reaction? How do you face that? What do you do when you lose a job? One of the things that was sad for me was to see several of my close friends lose their job in the last couple of years. Many of them being in their 50s and saying, oh man, I have to start all over again. That's hard. What do you do when you lose a job? What do you do when you're diagnosed with some kind of severe illness? How do you handle that when your world turns upside down? What do you do when money's kind of running short? And what you thought would work is no longer working. What do you do when everything you've been counting on begins to kind of unravel? Listen, what do you do when you graduate? High school or college? All you've known your whole life is what? The academic world. And now what? You're going to go into the job market. And I'm going to tell you something. They're different. They're not quite the same. Even events thought of as good can really be turning your world upside down events. You know what? Having a baby is such an event, amen? Your life's never the same when you have a child. I remember our first one being born, Elizabeth. I was so jacked, 23 years old. It seems like it's an infinite amount of time ago. So I was going to participate in the delivery. You know, it was kind of in, starting to be in fashion to do that kind of thing. I was going to be participatory and doing all this. And then, then Vicky had some complications, and things kind of went a little awry. Everything got hectic. And, then, then, and I got really nerve-wracked. And um, we were just talking about this the other day, in fact. I got kind of angry at the medical people. And so, which was not, I won't go there, okay? Anyway, so they asked me, do you want to cut the umbilical cord? I said, I I'm done. Just get the kid out. Let's figure this out. You know what I mean? I'm just undone here. I, I, was, I was just shot. But man, I tell you, that impacted my life. Like nothing I had ever experienced having a daughter. And of course, then I got to repeat that five times more, right? So you know what I learned? The fallacy of sleep like a baby. That's not true. Amen? Anybody agree with me on that? 
Come on, I think you had a big amen. Babies don't sleep. Why don't they sleep? The only one that wants to sleep is mom and dad because you're exhausted, right? But at any rate, I'm just whining now. Um, what do you do when you have this great career happen and it changes your responsibilities? It does turn your world upside down even though you're successful. What do you do if you have a small business and all of a sudden it's booming and you can't keep up with the demands and it's just becoming a consuming thing? See, sometimes our world is turned upside down by really good things. They don't, don't have to just be bad things, Amen. These can be life-changing kind of events. In response to this key question, we're going to do something here today. We're going to look at the story of Uzziah in Isaiah chapter 6, and we're going to pair it with the story of the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see the two kind of feed on each other. And they really both address this question, what do you do when your world turns upside down? So let's begin to answer this question by looking at the story of Uzziah found in Isaiah chapter 6 verses 1 through 3. Listen to this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and he was exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. They were flying. And they called to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. So when Isaiah's world came to an end as he knew it, it was an opportunity, it was a moment where he could focus on God. Where God gave him a fresh revelation of who he is. See, we can become really easily distracted by confidence placed in human leadership or institutions or things like that. And oftentimes when our Uzziah dies, whatever that is, it becomes a moment of great sensitivity through which God can then interact in our life. Now, let's go over to the triumphal entry. Think about that. This was a moment of great change and also an opportunity for people of that time uh, to refocus on God and to understand God anew. The account of Jesus' triumphal entry is recorded in the three synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And synoptic just means they tell the story similarly, okay? So it's told in all three stories. All record that Jesus came riding on a colt and that people were shouting Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David in the highest. And Matthew, we read that the whole city, the whole city was stirred by his arrival. And they didn't know who he was, but they thought he was some kind of prophet. And Luke, we're told that some of the Pharisees were taken aback by all this praise being given towards Jesus and said to Jesus, stop your disciples. And Jesus said this, if they don't praise me, what? Well, praise me stones will praise me. Man, I, I tell you, I want to just stop here and take a little tangent with you. Praising Christ is super important, amen? Sometimes we think it's optional or we have to feel like it. Huh? If we don't praise our Father, if we don't praise the Son, Jesus Christ, what will praise him? The stones. I don't want to be out praised by a stone, amen? How about you? I mean, it's really important that we see this. It's so good for our souls. It's so good for our well-being, spiritually speaking and physically speaking, to praise our Jesus. Amen? Do you praise Jesus? Just a tangent. If you're not, the stone's going to praise you. So I'm going to leave this up here to remind you to praise Jesus as I continue to talk here today. Um, what do you do when your world turns upside down? 
Well, you focus on Jesus Christ. That's what you do. That's what the triumphal entry was all about, was an opportunity for people to focus on Jesus Christ. So point number one here is this. The first thing you do when your world turns upside down is this. When your world turns upside down, allow it to focus you on Jesus. Just allow it to focus you on dependency on him, have a renewed sensitivity to him, and worship and adore him. Back to the story of Uzziah and how it affected Isaiah. It was like God was saying to Isaiah, look it, you all have depended on Uzziah long enough. He's dead, he's gone, now see me, see my holiness. The three verses that we read today are all about seeing the holiness of the Lord. He's seated on a throne, high and exalted, he's holy. The seraphs are covering their, uh, their faces, which means they're covering their eyes because they can't look on the glory of God. He's too holy. They're covering their feet. Why? Because the feet in that, that era meant earthliness. It was what connected you to the earth, and they were considered unholy. So they were covering their feet because they're in the presence of a holy God. And then if that's not enough, that visual uh, you know, example of holiness, then we get to the, the third verse, and it just says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord uh, God Almighty. Now, you got to understand the Hebrew language just a little bit. It's a, a quite different from English. In English, if I want to make something a big point, I might write a letter to you and capitalize a big point, right? If you ever get an email in all capital letters, one of two things have happened. You know what? That person's really mad they're screaming at you. Or they're an engineer writing it. You can think on that a little bit. Engineers just like capital letters. I don't know why that is. Anyway, you know, but anyway, any rate, uh, you know, usually if you get an email and it's all capitalized, it's like what? It's like you're being shouted at, right? So in the ancient Hebrew language, they didn't have this kind of punctuation. They didn't even have vowels. They just had consonants. So how do you emphasize something? By repetition. Jesus, when he was making a point, would say frequently, truly, truly, I say to you. What was he doing? He was getting there what? This is a big deal, what I'm about to share. Here in, in Isaiah, what we just read was, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You hardly ever see something repeated three times. And it should really grab our attention. This is an this um, explanation of who God is. The death of Uzziah was becoming a tool that God was using in Isaiah's life to bring him to an understanding of his holiness. Now imagine the most awe-inspiring moment of your life. Just imagine. Maybe it's like me, having a, having a kid changes you, right? Or, or completing a big career thing. Sometimes it's just monumental. You complete something you worked on. I remember when I did a really large machine at 3M and worked a year and a half. When it got done, I was so happy, amen? And it worked. Ha, that was even better, you know? And so uh, sometimes they don't work. I'm just going to say that. Um, Sometimes it's just completing like your bachelor's degree. Do you remember that? Some of you, some of you are in the middle of that. I remember, yay, or doing a second one. Some of us need a couple degrees. Anyway, you know, um, or a master's degree. If you're like Aaron, you can do a couple master's degrees. And then the doctorate degree or whatever, you know. Um, and, and, and those moments are precious, aren't they? And you celebrate them, you go, wow. Now take that feeling of euphoria and multiply it 100 times over. And you're starting to get an inkling of what Isaiah experienced in the presence of the Holy God. It was just awe-inspiring because there's no one like our God. He's one of a kind, eternally self-sufficient. He's literally, you know, burning, so to speak, transcendent, brilliant, and perfect being. He is holy, holy, holy. Here's what we're going to do, Grace Point. And you who are watching online, you can do this at home. I want you to do this with me and speak this out loud. We're going to look at that phrase, the Lord is holy, holy, holy. And guess what we're going to do? We're going to say it out loud together, okay? And if you're at home, 
I expect you to be saying this at home out loud with us. So here we go. Say it like you mean it. Amen? Here we go. The Lord is holy, holy, holy. Do you believe it? Because that's how, what he revealed to Isaiah. Of all the things he could reveal, reveal to Isaiah when, when Uzziah died, he said, I am holy, holy, holy. Let's say it again. Say it out loud with me again. Here we go. The Lord is holy, holy, holy. Here's our application to this first point. Our upside down events in your life prompting you to focus on Jesus Christ. Are they driving you to greater dependence on the Lord Jesus Christ? Because God uses all things for our good. And good means conformance to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. God uses all things in our life for good, to the conformance of Jesus Christ, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now return with me to the triumphal entry. This holy God that Isaiah witnessed is now in person in the triumphal entry. And he is holy. We're going to see in a moment what I mean by that. Um, when your world turns upside down, then look for a deeper revelation of Jesus and what he's up to. That's our second point here. Jesus showed up in the triumphal entry, and the people who got it looked for a deeper revelation of Jesus and what he was up to. Holy in the Isaiah account means set apart something holy other. W-H-O-L-L-Y, other. There is nothing, there is no one like God and his son. They're holy. They're unique. They're holy other. Now, when you dig deeper into the circumstances of the Jesus triumphal entry, you begin to see that aspect about God's son. He is holy other. He's holy like the Father's holy. He's special. He's one of a kind. And I'm just going to talk in one little example to illustrate this point. Um, He's like no one else. He comes in the triumphal entry riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Well, that was a fulfillment of prophecy of Zechariah 9.9. So the first thing we see in Jesus being holy other is he fulfilled prophecy by riding a colt. If you go back to the Old Testament book of Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9, it says this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a what? Donkey, a colt, a foal of a donkey. So in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark and Luke, we, it is noted Jesus came riding on this foal, this colt, this donkey, and it's a fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9, and right away we see that Jesus is holy other. He's uniquely God. He's divine. He's the first one to ride this colt. He's fulfilling prophecy. Everything about Jesus declares holy, holy, holy. You see, the triumphal entry is kind of like a continuation of the encounter that we read about in, the, in Isaiah chapter 6. People are getting the opportunity to meet up with a holy God in person. Now, we've, we know this about him riding a donkey. It means something else. He came to bring peace. When a king would ride a donkey, it meant he was coming in peace. When a king rode a horse, it meant he was coming to make war. Jesus came to make peace between God and fallen humanity. So it's symbolic of his holy otherness. He's coming with this unique goal, this unique work to do of atoning for our death, for our sins with his death on the cross, okay? We'll get to that as the week unfolds here on Easter Sunday. But this last point to me really speaks to me. 
Riding on that donkey is a visualization that he came to the common person. He came to the common person. A donkey was for commoner's use. If you were a common person, you would have a donkey as a beast of burden. If you were royalty, you would have a horse. So Jesus coming on the donkey was saying, I'm coming to the common person. I'm coming in a relatable manner to all of you. I'm coming humbly uh, and, and I, I, you know, he's wholly other. He is so unique. He's so, are you seeing this? So when you, when you start understanding that God has revealed himself to Isaiah as holy, 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 we see the son Jesus is being revealed to us as God in person. Holy, holy, holy. He's holy other. He is unique. One of a kind. Now, let me take a tangent with you. I'm into tangents today. If you notice, I'm just telling you when I'm going to go flying off and think about something that's not in the, I just, I was thinking about Christian leadership and I was thinking about church leadership and how often it is so misunderstood. People think good leadership is this larger than life individual doing all this stuff and following. Huh, that's humanistic leadership. Leadership in the church is entirely differently, different. It's all about Jesus Christ. And follow him wholeheartedly and passionately. I love what uh, Count uh, Zinzendorf said. He was a major figure of 18th century Protestantism and and Lutheranism specifically in Germany. He said this to his pastoral uh, group. He said this. Listen guys, preach the gospel, die and be forgotten. It's not what you hear is in leadership anymore. Preach the gospel and then just die and be forgotten. Because you know what? It's not about you. Amen? It's all about Jesus Christ. And I think this is one of the hardest people have with concepts of leadership, especially Christian leadership. It's really not about us, amen? Who is it about? Jesus Christ. Because why? He's holy other. He's God. He's holy, 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 amen? It's really not about us. There's no one like Jesus. He's amazingly different. He's the centerpiece of history. Um, yet he's humble and he's approachable. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done. If you place your faith in him, you can approach God through Jesus Christ. What do you do when your world turns upside down? You look for a deeper revelation of Jesus and what he's up to. Let's go to the application. How has your understanding and trust in Jesus deepened because of what you've gone through this past few years. Have you been letting it do something in you, a transformative work? Are you understanding Jesus more? Is it helping you to understand what he's up to? Something else happened to Isaiah when his world was turned upside down. Let's read about it in Isaiah 6, verse 4 through 7. Listen to this. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook. The temple was filled with smoke. And Isaiah said, woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among uh, a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. So Isaiah has his world turned upside down. He gets this glimpse of the holy, holy, holy God. And what happens? He goes, oh man, now I see who I really am. And I am a man who's sinful. And I live among sinful people. And he was kind of undone in a good way. A teenage son was taking dad's car out for the first time. Dad gave him the standard advice. Be careful, you know, and all that. And that night in the parking lot when it was dark, the son in the car kissed a light pole. On the side a little bit. And he gets out of the car. He's kind of upset. And he looks at it. He says, oh, it's not bad because it's really dark out, right? 
can't see very well. It's not that bad. And in his mind, he's trying to minimize it. It can't be that bad. So he gets home and, he, and the minimization uh, continues on as he tells his dad, uh, I kind of dented the car a little bit, but it's no big deal. It's just a little scratch. Well, the next day, his father takes the car to the, to the body shop and they had a different story. It's a replace the fender kind of dent. In the light of day, things looked entirely differently. And that, my friend, is what's going on here with Isaiah. In the light of Christ, in the light of God, he sees himself differently. He sees himself for who he is, and he's undone. He says, I'm a sinful person. I need to be remade by you, God. Amen? Hey, I want to take another tangent with you. Want to break here? Because it's kind of heavy. So here's a third tangent. I'm just, my kids, I've had five uh, go through driving. Uh, five teenagers go through driving. That, that'll put you in a grave. Amen? Um, I learned a couple things. I'm going to give you some really good advice from somebody that's been there and done this. Whatever car you get your teenager, make sure it's like a tank. Lots of metal wrapping around them, protecting their little bodies, all right? Because they're going to park that car in a high school parking lot, it will get hit, amen? If they don't hit somebody, somebody will hit them. It's inevitable. And if it's an old beat-up car, you just kind of go, there's another dent, no big deal. If they park in a, in a, in a college campus, it will get hit. Trust me, I replaced five bumpers on one of our cars because they just got hit that many times. Here's one story you just got, you got to laugh about this one. My daughter, Abby, was a sophomore in college. She was working at uh, Grandma Sharon's in Williston, and um, so she parked her car there. And this is the oil field uh, country, you know. Somebody pulls in with a big oil field truck, hits the back of the car. How do I know this? Because one of Abby's friends was in the parking lot. Hits the back of the car, knocks the bumper literally off, the bumper cover, throws it in the back of the pickup truck and drives away. That's why you buy them a tank, amen? You just never know what's going to happen. It has nothing to do with the message. I just want to share the story. So anyway, so, so hopefully you can use that for some good when your kids get to be teenagers. So often our world turns upside down and it brings you to this moment of seeing yourself clearly. And Isaiah explains understood. He understood this experience was a time that God was doing something momentous in his life. And he was open and he was receptive. It's a great example of what to do when your world is turned upside down. Isaiah is a great example of that. But a terrible example of this is the people that Jesus wept over as he went into Jerusalem that's told to us about in Luke chapter 19. Listen to what happens here in verses 41 through 44. As Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come when upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground. And you and your children within your walls, they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the day, the time of God's coming to you. Jesus came to him in person. Yet unlike Isaiah, they didn't recognize him. They didn't recognize the holy God. The holy other was in person in their presence. It's critical for you and I to recognize God and when he's moving in our lives. Which brings us to this last and third point on um, what do you do when your world's turned upside down. When your world turns upside down, you need to be receptive to what Jesus wants to do in your life. You just need to be receptive Isaiah steps in the light of God's holiness and he says, woe to me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among people of unclean lips. And he realized only God could remake him and cleanse him. Think about this moment that Isaiah has. He's giving this revelation to God. And then what happens? We're told that an angel, a seraph, I should say the right thing, takes tongs, 
takes the coal out of the fire, right? Puts it in his hand and comes towards Isaiah's mouth <laughs> with a live coal, right? Have you ever kissed a coal? Don't you think it'd be a little painful? I mean, that's a picture I get here. Who kisses a coal from a fire? That's got to hurt. And I think there's symbolism here that we need to understand. When you are undergoing true repentance and true self-awareness and you're standing before holy God, it's kind of a painful thing. Amen? And we kind of understand that godly sorrow, this kind of pain of, of recognizing who I really am, it's painful, but godly Sorrow is the fertile soil of true repentance that leads to life, we're told in the Bible. And Isaiah just demonstrates this so well. The angel comes in with his coal. He's receptive of the work that God is doing. And it changes his understanding of who God is. So here's our application. Are you receptive to God's timing in your life? To the things that are happening? Do you understand there's a timing of God going on? Jesus frequently comes in the midst of some of the most unlikely circumstances. When our world's turned upside down, he's right there. If we'll just see it, if we'll just slow down, if we'll just recognize it. Isaiah, by the way, hit it out of the park, didn't he? But the people on the triumphal entry, they struck out. Amen? They didn't see it at all. The coming of Jesus, by the way, is broadening, uh, is a broadening of the Isaiah experience. See, Isaiah got to experience the holiness of God. Jesus was God incarnate in person, broadening what? That invitation to experience the holiness of God, to become totally different, to be enamored with the one who's holy other. The people shouted Hosanna, which simply means save us, save us, save us. Jesus specializes in saving, and the time of his salvation is now for us. That's always a now word. I don't know where any of you are at today with your walk with Jesus Christ, but there's a now word to you right now. Jesus will save your soul if you'll trust in him. Give your life to him, amen? He's there and ready to save your soul. This may be your moment where God is moving in your life. Don't neglect it. Don't overlook it. That's how Christ works. I want to share one last thought. There's a really important exchange that takes place in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. Listen to this. Then Isaiah heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And he said, Here I am, send me. See, Isaiah's encounter with God was just so revolutionary. I mean, he had to take his eyes off the tragedy of Uzziah dying. He now got to see this God who's holy, 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 this changes him as this seraph comes to him with this coal and says you're clean in, in God. He's kind of a prototype of what Christ would do for us. Amen? And God says, now who will go? Who will I send? And I can just see Isaiah. He's an audience of one. Amen? It's not like God is speaking to a group of people. Here's Isaiah. Who will I send? Me! Me! There is nobody else. Me! Me! Right? And, and, and Isaiah said, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to be part of your work, God. And see, this brings us to our conclusion today. Are you willing to be deployed by God? Because that's how God works. What do you do when your world turns upside down? You focus on Jesus Christ. What do you do when your world turns upside down? You, you, you begin to have a deeper revelation and understand who Jesus is. And you begin to say, he, he's doing something new in my life. He's taking me from here to there. What do you do when your world turns upside down? You ask 
God, what, what, what do you want me to learn? What do you want me to become self-aware of? And how do you want me to change? What do you do when your world turns upside down? You begin to realize God is changing you for a deployment purpose, for the furtherance of his kingdom. So that you can become God's man or woman of the hour. And you know what? We need to quickly, we get a lot of baptisms today. And I just did a long message in a record amount of time. 